Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the season finale of Golf Talk Live. I'm very, very excited to uh, have uh, doing the show. This is the last show of uh, 2019 uh, as we all get ready to uh, take a break for Christmas uh, and uh, New Year's. And uh, I'm going to be taking a, an extended break from not only this show, but also the Women of Golf show, which uh, air uh, on the same network every Tuesday mornings with my good friend, LPJ professional, Cindy Miller, which we just did that show this past Tuesday. Um, so we're already on a break for that. But uh, this is the last show for Golf Talk Live in 2019. And uh, we'll be starting up again, I believe, February 6th uh, is the first date uh, for Golf Talk Live. So we're going to be taking an extended break uh, to enjoy the holidays and to get ready uh, for the new season, getting guests and things uh, lined up. And uh, for those of you that uh, have been on the show and and particularly part of the uh, Coach's Corner panel, uh, most of you already probably know, but for any reason, if some of you have not received a copy, uh, I did send out the 2020 schedule here just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I've already started getting some people uh, signing up for next year. Uh, if you did not get a copy, then email me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. That's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to send you uh, a copy out. And uh, you can uh, plug in uh, the dates that uh, you feel you can be available for, and uh, we really, really appreciate it. For those of you that um, uh, have received it and have been on and want to come up again for next season, uh, Obviously, uh, you need to take some time, check your schedules. Uh, but if you can try to get back to me uh, sometime in January with, uh, with your, your dates and that, uh, that way I can get an idea of uh, where things sit and if I need to shift some people around and so forth. So I appreciate everybody. Thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, as I said, we're going to be starting here in just a, a few moments uh, with uh, our final Coach's Corner panel of uh, 2019. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my special guest, John Decker, a PGA instructor and instructor with GolfSwing.com and Dr. Angelica Napolitano, a.k.a. The Golf Doc, and owner of Optimal Physical Therapy and Wellness in Jupiter, Florida. She's going to be uh, joining uh, John here, and they're going to be finishing out a, a four-part series that we've been doing here uh, the last uh, several months and uh, about the downswing and the follow-through. So we're going to talk about different things there. Uh, so I hope you'll stick around and, and uh, join me for that. Um, very quickly, I want to thank uh, this season for... Um, coming up and, and sponsoring the Coach's Corner segment, golfswing.com. Uh, they've been a, a great uh, sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel, and uh, we're working on uh, extending that into next year as well. Um, let me tell you a little bit about them and a great offer, especially for those of you looking for some last-minute gifts. Uh, golfswing.com, with their cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside some of the best in, uh, golf instructors, coaches, and swing groups in the business. Together, they have created one of the best video training online platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then you can join their online video academy and learn some of the best. 
Remember to enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE at checkout to receive 50% off the subscription price to join today while we practice and improve your game. All right, so I'm going to introduce the coaching center panel, and then we will uh, begin the discussion. Next up is Peter Kazarian. He is the uh, owner and director of performance for the Northwest Performance Institute, uh, also the owner and president of Northeast Golf Performance. Uh, he was the 2017 uh, uh, Northeastern uh, New York PGA uh, Player Development Award recipient, and he's also a TrackMan Master and a proponent group uh, member. Uh, also on the panel is Clint Wright, a 30-year member of the PGA, also a partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach, and one of the best, in my opinion, uh, covering the short game today. And he's also uh, a favorite here on the uh, Coach's Corner panel. Uh, also on the, the panel tonight is Chuck Evans, uh, Golf Magazine Top 100 Teacher, uh, Golf Digest Top Teacher in America, uh, Top 50 Growth of the Game Teacher, and Director of Instruction at Apache Creek Golf Club in Apache Junction, uh, Arizona, and of course, owner of Chuck Evans Golf. Uh, lastly on the uh, panel is uh, Pete Buchanan, uh, Founder and Director of Instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which of course houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing uh, Repeater Training Brace. And he's been teaching uh, for over 30 years now and has been a, a regular as well on the Coach's Corner panel and another uh, favorite among uh, my guests. So, guys, uh, welcome to uh, my season finale and particularly to Coach's Corner. I'm glad to be here, Dan. Thanks, Thanks for having us. All right. I'm going to, um, well, as always, as I said off air, it's always a pleasure having you guys on here, and I, I appreciate all that you do. Um, all right. So we're going to start off with some some really kind of a light discussion tonight. We're going to talk about uh, some things, and I know some things we've, we've talked about in the past, but uh, we're just going to kind of have a little fun tonight. So, Clint, I'm going to start with you, and this particular cast, uh, question uh, is really applicable to all of you, and uh, maybe just kind of give uh, a, a, an example, uh, if you will, uh, of one of the best tips that you feel that you've ever given uh, to a student, one that really sort of resonated with that student and sort of uh, really hit home uh, with that particular individual. What are, you, what are you, one of your best tips, uh, Clint? Yeah, I think that was pretty easy. Um, you know, I, I focus a lot on putting and, and short game for sure, but but I think the best tip that I, I, I've had a person to get a hold of is to understand that the best putters know how far away from the hole they are. They, there's nothing for granted. I mean, if they got a, a 30, 40-foot putt, they know you step it off somebody's stepping it off to know exactly what it is and they already have built in a uh, sense of how hard they need to hit a 20 footer so this one's a little, little bit longer and it and he never thought about uh, you know they know how far they hit a pitching wedge but they don't have a clue what it takes to make a ball roll 30 feet and right. whenever we discuss the fact that he should step off his lag putts he immediately become a better lag putter because he had that information to work with that he had never had before. Uh, so I, I highly encourage people to begin to understand the pace of a putt because he never really had trouble getting it to go at the hole. It was always just too long or too short. And so right. once he got the idea that he had to have some information to work with, uh, he become a much better lag putter. Very good. And, and that's a, a great tip, by the way, um, uh, Clint. You know, I think that a lot of people overlook that area of the game. They get on there and, you know, they make a few practice putts uh, once they get to the course before they play their round, but they don't really have an, 
a good understanding of, of how, uh, you know, to make certain putts. They're not really practicing that area of their game as much as they should. And a lot of times when they get to the golf course, I said they might make one or two uh, or maybe three practice putts. Right. But, they, you know, they don't really have one, yeah, uh, absolutely. a benchmark. You always we talk about to, putting yeah. Yeah, we, we really don't call it practice putty when they warm up. We want them to understand they're trying to gather information. Right. There's a big right, difference exactly. in walking out and banging a couple of putts versus gathering information to use for that day. Exactly. So we well don't said. even call them practice putts. We call them information <laughs> strokes. <laughs> good good, good point. Um, Peter, um, how about yourself, Peter Agazarian, uh, just to make it straight? Um, what do you think is one of the best tips that you feel you've ever given to a student that really resonated? Um, yeah, it's interesting. It, it's something that's much more emotional and just talk to the, talk to players about trusting what they do well and to go out and, and trust it on the golf course. And a lot of times bridging that, bridging that gap between, you know, what they're able to execute in practice and, and, when they're playing or competing is, is that aspect of trust. And once they can trust it on the golf course, they, they really come back and say, you know what, you're right. All I had to do was trust it. And it makes a huge difference on performance. Right. Well said, you know, often too, we, we overlook as instructors, we overlook the fact that it's not just the physical part of the game um, that golfers really need to focus on. It's also the, uh, mental side and particularly the emotional side as well. And once they sort of put all those pieces together, if you will, um, they're going to be a much well-rounded player. Um, but, uh, but great answer, Peter. That's a great tip. Um, Chuck, uh, what about yourself? I know you've given many, many tips over the years. Uh, is there maybe one that, that kind of stands out um, that, that you've given that, that uh, really sort of helped put things in place for your students? Well, I try I try to get all students on their approach shots to uh, hit it to the middle of the green. Forget about where the flag is, um, unless they're a super elite player. But even then, if they're an elite player at a corner pin and they short side themselves, they better be like Seve. So uh, I try to always get them to start if they if they curve the ball, start it in the middle, work it towards the hole, whether they're a fader or somebody that draws it. But but focus on the middle of, of the green because if you hit it in the middle of the green, you're going to make you know 10% of those putts maybe, but you should shouldn't do any more than two putt it. So middle of the green for me. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think sometimes uh, students need to um, keep it simple, not try to overcomplicate things. Be uh, necessarily too aggressive, obviously. Uh, sometimes we have to be a little bit aggressive in certain shots, but uh, again, as you said, it depends on the level of the player, but uh, I think that's some great advice as well, and definitely a tip that uh, anybody tuning into the show tonight uh, should take heed with. Um, Pete Buchanan, uh, how about yourself? I know you've given many tips as well. Um, what are, uh, what are, what's one that, uh, that stands out to you? I think the last one I did was one of the collegiate players that I coached was struggling with short putts uh, during competitions, and so uh, I went up and I said, well, what's your warm-up routine before you start? And uh, this particular player was hitting two and three footers, and I said, well, you know, I'd, I'd avoid those right away because you certainly don't want to give yourself any negative that you're missing those. Um, you know, you could hit 50 of these and make 
49 and miss one, you're going to remember the one you missed on the golf course. So I said, I would rather you, you know, like Clint was talking about, get a, an idea of the speed of the greens first and just leave those short putts out. Don't even cut those before the round. Don't even worry about them. Um, you can take care of those during the round when they come up. But if you're better at uh, using your, your pace, you're going to have very few short putts anyway. So uh, the very next round, none of those short putts were missed and uh, had one of the best putting rounds of the season. So I think that was a, a neat one for to see that just changing the concept of what the warm-up is all about and uh, just taking a little different approach to putting. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, as I said, I think sometimes just keeping it simple and, and uh, you know, looking at uh, really what's important, you know, as, as Clint pointed out, you know, gathering information. I think a lot of times people focus on the wrong things when they go to the golf course in, in preparation for a round, and uh, they're not really getting the information they need for that particular day. And there's a lot of factors obviously involved, and that's why it's important that things like that, that you work with your instructor, uh, talk about these things. Uh, communication is a vital uh, importance, if you will, between you and your coach. And I think understanding and helping uh, put a good, uh, effective game plan together so that when you go to the golf course, you've got uh, an agenda there. It's not just about playing the round, but it's about putting things in perspective. So great answers, guys. I appreciate that. Um, all right, we're going to flip it a little bit and uh, going to go through the same order again. Uh, but this time we're going to talk about uh, what you feel and I want to preface this, one of the best tips you've ever received. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be from a fellow professional. It can be obviously a mentor, uh, but it may be from a student that you feel has really helped you uh, elevate uh, your uh, performance, if you will, as an instructor. So, uh, Clint, I'm going to throw it to you first as, uh, as we uh, go through the, the lineup again. Best tip you ever received? Well, that's a hard one there. Uh, you did flip it. <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't want to kind of sidestep the question, but I think I kind of learn a little bit from everybody I work with because they're, they're so much different. I, I guess that, that over the years I, I've learned that that as a um, longtime instructor is it, you have to listen to your student uh, a little bit. I mean, it, this is really something we all know, but the, to to take what we know, and tailor it to our student. Uh, and I think we, we just learn that as we go. I, I think we see, not to be negative, some folks that have, here's what I teach, you can either get it or you don't. Uh, right. But I, but I think over the years um, that I guess the best tip or maybe the best advice would, would be from students is, I didn't quite understand that, try again. Uh, and as we go, we learn um, as instructors and teachers is that it's not necessarily everything we know, but how we present it to where obviously the student understands it. And so I, I guess the, the best tip or advice I got from somebody is a student long-term was, hey, can you say that? Tell me one more time. And when they say that, that you recognize the fact they didn't get it the way you said it the first time. So you have to have some imagination and understanding to come at them from a different direction and hopefully they get it then because after a little while you run out of ways of saying it, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but I guess that's the overall best thing that I've ever been asked from a student is tell me that again. I didn't quite understand that. And when you get that from a student, 
you know they're there ready to learn something. They're just not going through the, you know, hours lesson and just listening to you. They're really into trying to get better. And when they have that response and begin to communicate back to you, you, you know you've got somebody that you really want to work with. So yeah, just and, that and idea, hey, you know, say it another way. I didn't quite get it that time. Right. Well said. Um, and, and, you know, you're exactly right, Clint. I think we've all experienced that. You know, uh, obviously, as we all know, that uh, not every student uh, learns and sees the information the same. Some are, are more visual uh, students. Uh, I know I'm visual, so for me, I like to see what's, what's happening and what's going on. It, it makes right. it easier for me to understand. Um, and so the fact that students do that uh, is a good sign because it means they're engaged in the process. There's nothing worse Correct. than standing for 30 minutes or an hour you know, babbling on about different things and the students not uh, the least bit engaged. So that's, that's a great uh, tip or, or piece of advice. And, and obviously, as, as you pointed out, you like to learn a little bit from, from uh, some of your fellow uh, professionals that you've worked with over the years. Obviously, they've given you some great insight as well. Um, Peter, what about oh, yeah. yourself? Uh, obviously, I know uh, you uh, have given some great tips, but uh, what about a, a tip or, or, as Clint put, uh, an advice maybe that you've received um, again, from professionals or even students that uh, have helped sort of take you to that next step. Yeah, I kind of I have to agree with Clint. I, I I I learn from almost every player I work with, um, but I would have to I'd have to say the the physical therapist that I collaborate with gave me a a lot of great advice about how to work around the. A hip limitation this past spring, and, and it really helped out my game, and um, really, really helpful to keep me from really having a, a catastrophic knee injury. So, it, I think I definitely have to give uh, give her the, the the shout out this year. Um, and you know, I think one of my players who's been exceptionally successful in business, as I an expanding mind gave me some great advice about being a, being a leader and a mentor for people. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, well said. And, you know, you're exactly right. You know, I think uh, a lot of times we, we have to look at all aspects. And, you know, one of the mistakes I think that a lot of instructors make, especially early on in their career, is they get too um, sort of tied down to the dogma of, of trying to teach a specific philosophy or, or what have you, as, as it was mentioned earlier. And I think listening to the students, I think, you know, uh, understanding, you know, physical limitations and, and obviously knowing that sometimes you have to partner up with somebody uh, that can sort of bring balance to your profession, like a, a physiotherapist or, or something of that nature uh, that can sort of help uh, give you some guidance and information that's obviously going to be better for your students. So uh, great answer, Peter. Thank you. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, Chuck, what about yourself? I know you've given literally thousands of, of great tips over the years. Um, but I'm sure somewhere along the lines, maybe early on, maybe even here lately, uh, you've received uh, some advice or, or a tip over the years that, uh, again, sort of helped you out to uh, become a, a teacher that you are. Well, you know, I've, uh, over the years, when I was first starting out, you taught whatever was in the golf publication that month, regardless of who was in front of you. So it, it would change month to month, but for me, uh, the best the best advice I ever got, and this was almost forty years ago, was that you know everybody is different 
standing in front of you. So you have to have a way or a process to figure out what is the best way to approach this person, not only from the understanding point, but from their physical point. So, you know, you don't teach a methodology. You know, you, you teach structure, but that structure can change, obviously, during uh, a lesson or during a session, depending on the students you have in front. Uh, if I've got somebody that has more or less flexibility than someone else, then, you know, the understanding is going to be, you know, to make this work, Based on what you can do, we have to adjust this, this, and this. So I think the I think the best best advice was, you know, don't don't teach a methodology, but build what the student has and build around that, and don't just stick to one thing. So. Well said. Well said. That's uh, some great advice, um, Pete. What about yourself? Um, you, again, you. Uh, We've all been doing this for a lot of years, so I know there's been some great tips that, that we've given out, but um, what about uh, some advice or tips you've received uh, over your 30-plus year career that's, uh, that's helped, again, elevate you uh, in your, uh, your journey? Well, I think I was fortunate as a young instructor to be able to work with John Jacobs himself and learn ball flight cause and effect from him, which I still use all of that today. And it's such a, an eye-opener to see and, and watch him talk about, you know, the different ball flights, the characteristics between the club and the ball, and then the cause and effect back to what the students are doing, and then be able to put that into work, you know, for the 17-plus years I worked for the schools. But alongside that, the other thing that John told me was, I, I, and I use this all the time, never lose sight of what the ball's telling you. And that was a phenomenal piece of advice because it's always going to tell you what's going on. And so, you know, John always talked from the ball back to the club, back to the person. And I learned that same way and, and looking at cause and effect. And so I think, you know, being able to, to not only learn from him, but teach side to side, and, uh, you know, listen to what he's saying, have him work on my game, but also to watch him teach and learn those aspects, I think was, was crucial to to, you know, my career, what I've, what I've done to teach Another, uh, another great piece of advice and tip, uh, uh, that, that you've received. And, and I think we can all share on that one. Um, you know, cause and effect is, is obviously something that's very important. And I think understanding that what, you know, why things happen the way they do and, and, um, and what you're doing to implement that, um, is, is critical. And then I think once the student does have a, a good understanding of, of what's causing uh, that end result, then it's a little easier to, to work with that individual because then you can go back and you can say, oh, here's, here's what's happening. Uh, here's what we need to do uh, to make that uh, appropriate change. And this is what you're doing specifically that's causing the problem. So um, a, a great uh, piece of advice. And I think um, it was obviously very well received. Um, Clint, sort of piggybacking on uh, Pete's answer, um, really sort of resonates here, I think. And, and that is, you know, many golfers, I think, focus too much on the technique and not enough on the result. Um, you know, they're, they're not really focusing on what's happening. Obviously they see that the ball, you know, didn't do what they wanted to do. Um, but they're so bound and bent to make sure everything looks, you know, perfect in the golf swing and, 
and and so forth, but they're not really paying attention, as as Pete just pointed out, to the results. So, um, is that do you believe that to be a true statement? And if so, how do we change that? Um, what do we need to do to help golfers understand that it's nice to have a good-looking swing, but if we're not paying attention to the the the, the back end, if you will, of what's happening, um, we're not going to be able to make the changes necessary. Yeah, I, I think you, you you see some of that. Um, you know, a, a lot of it because that's kind of interesting. Comments made a minute ago. You talked to talked to what was in the golf magazine this month. That was what how you taught people. And <laughs> you, you know, I, I think one of the things that we could do as instructors, if we're working with a person that we we get a sense is more, you know, I want it to look good versus what it does. We need to we need to kill their subscription to all the magazines they get. Tell them not watch Golf Channel for a month. Uh, and just focus on, you know, there's, you know, me, I, I'm more focused on them scoring. I, I don't care what it looks like. I don't really, you know, I don't care what level of play they are. They can hit it a certain way. And if they can get the third shot on the green and two putt, they're, you know, they're going to be all right. Uh, so I try to get people to break away from that by focusing and talking with them about, well, are you here to, to be pretty or are you here to shoot a low score? And they all at that point said, well, I'm here to shoot a low score. I don't care what it looks like. I said, well, you need to remind yourself of that. You have to get them to buy into the fact that it's not about pretty. It's about score if that's what you want. But on the other hand, as an instructor, if I get a student that just wants it to look good and whatever, then I'm going to maybe try to help them make it look balanced and whatever. We're not going to worry about their score because that's not what it's important to them. But obviously, I try to convince them the other way that what's important here is for you to try to be shoot as low a score as you can because that's really what the game's about is mm-hmm. a score. I mean, if it wasn't that fat, it wouldn't be in the rule book. So, um, yeah, it, it's difficult to deal with, a, I think, a person that just wants to for it to look good because they're mm-hmm. really they're just not there for the right reasons. We want to see them play golf. But we have to start being maybe a mentor type effect of convincing them that, hey, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Pay attention to what you see on the television. They don't all look the same. Some of them have things that are not so good, but they really can chip and putt. They all can do that. And fortunately, all of that looks the same. That's the generic portion of the game. And so if we can convince them of that, then then I think we've got a chance of them breaking out of that. You know, I've got to be fundamentally perfect uh, and or I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to quit playing. And uh, not to be overly long here is that I've got a student we talked to the other day that is, you know, he's out there hitting seven really good shots out of 10 and he's too worried about the three misses. I said, it's not luck to hit balls in a row good. You can hit one or two good by luck. But when you're hitting seven or eight good shots out of ten, you're doing something right. So let's move on. Right. Right, you know, right exactly. Let's move on. So it's you know, difficult um, sometimes. Yeah, it is. And and you know, you both you and, and obviously Pete brought up a, an interesting point. You know, golf instruction um years ago did uh, you know, sort of evolve out of 
the magazines and, and what we, you know, obviously saw. And I, I think that, you know, when you look at players that were, you know, had started out, you know, decades ago, you know, and I know I use these guys a lot, but, you know, even Nicholas and Trevino and Watson and Palmer and, and some of the, the, you know, even a Freddie Couples, you know, when you look at that, that sort of those eras, you know, they had uniquely different swings, but they all had certain elements that were common, and that was obviously, uh, you know, at impact and, and so forth, but their, their swing itself looked uniquely different. When you look at many of the players in today's game, you know, they all look very, very similar um, in, in many cases. The interesting fact is that if you compare players today, and certainly not knocking anyone, um, obviously, you know, competition is a little bit different, but very, very few players are dominating the game. I mean, obviously, Tiger has been an exception to the rule, but if you look at really players, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, they had long stretches where they dominated um, at various times. Now, um, you know, you're not seeing that. And, and I know people argue and say, well, that's because the, the quality of player is better. Um, yeah, there there is truth to that, but I think there's other factors as well. I think that they, they had a different approach and how they – um, they got out there and actually played the game. They weren't as concerned about how good their swing looked. They just wanted to make sure that it could perform under pressure. Um, Peter, uh, I want to come to you with a, a different question, um, and, and that is, you know, many students get out there, uh, and we're going to talk with, uh, you know, our, our, our higher handicap players here. Um, we know our better caliber players tend to have sort of a go-to shot, if you will, uh, that they're um, comfortable with, that they – go to in a, in a moment of, of pressure. Uh, is this something that you think would be beneficial to our high handicappers is to have a go-to shot or even a go-to club that they're comfortable with in their bag so when they're under pressure, they're going to go to that shot or they're going to use that club uh, to help give them that extra confidence? What do you think? Yeah, I think they absolutely could. I mean, if you look at it, in a high handicap sense, it, it might be best if they only maybe even potentially have the most confident clubs in their bag available to them. You know, you, you look at a high handy, uh, higher handicap or a beginner player, and maybe even every player for that fact doesn't use every club in their bag. They tend to gravitate towards certain ones. Um, so when you're making, when a, when a higher handicap or the beginner player is making choices as to what they're going, what club they're going to choose or shot they're going to hit. You're better off choosing the most confident one, even if it doesn't help you reach your target. That way you're playing golf from a more confident mindset. And, you know, when you're more confident, you're going to perform better and enjoy it more. I mean, when you're looking at the high handicap player, they're looking, they're there for, for fun, enjoyment, you know, fulfillment of maybe improving. But if you can make your choices based off confidence instead of what you feel like you should do, it can drastically change the way they play. Right. Well said. And you, you raise a valid point too, uh, Peter, and that is, is having clubs in your bag. You know, even though the rules say that we can have 14 clubs in the bag, um, we don't necessarily have to have all 14. You know, there might be a group of clubs that you're most comfortable with, um, it's okay to drop a few out of your, your bag and just play. Um, it might only be 10 clubs. Uh, it might only be eight clubs. Uh, whatever you're comfortable working with, you know, you can always add as you go down the line and as you improve. 
but I think sometimes people get intimidated, um, especially very early on in the, in the learning process with those 14 clubs. They feel like they've got to use every single one of them, uh, and that's not necessarily the case because most golfers don't use all the clubs in their bag, um, certainly the average uh, amateur out there, and a lot of times it just adds to the confusion. So I think having uh, a go-to shot or even uh, a couple of go-to clubs, maybe it might be uh, a – you know, in the case of your driver, if you're not very accurate off the tee, uh, scaling back to a three-wood or even a hybrid uh, now uh, is sometimes a, a better choice off the tee uh, if you're not confident hitting the big stick. So uh, great answer. I, I really like that. Uh, I think you just have to um, really sort of focus on, on the tasks at hand and, and not get caught up in, in, uh, in trying to do everything all at once. Um, Chuck, I want to go to you with, with a question here. And, and that is, you know, one of the things that, that many golfers, uh, especially first-time golfers that are just coming out there, um, you know, they've been encouraged to work with somebody like yourself, and they're not sure how, how the process, how, how it starts. So when you're dealing with a new student, what should they do on their part? We know what you're going to do to prepare, but what should they do to prepare for their first lesson with you? Well, I think they, you know, they need to figure out what their goal is going to be, and realize that they're not going to hit it like the players on the PGA Tour. So, you know, and sometimes they'll have clubs, sometimes they don't have clubs. So, if they don't have clubs, obviously we'll provide clubs to help them out. But, you know, their expectation level. Uh, it seems to be always uh, higher than their ability. Um, and they have to learn that your expectations and your ability needs to kind of line up together. So, you know, it's like a player that goes out and shoots 73 one day and shoots 83 the next. And they say their swing changed. Well, their swing didn't change. Right. You know, I mean, I've had I've had people tell me I've got a hundred different golf swings. I go, no, you have one golf swing, but you lack is control of the golf swing. So, right. uh, you know, the first thing that I try to do is get them to make a two foot motion. And we might start with putting, or it might be chipping, but either one of those. And we're trying to to build a sense that they can feel alignments along with, you know, how they should grip the club, how they should stand to the ball, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, they open their mind, and then, of course, we give them, you know, I give them all kinds of uh, of uh, drills and things that I put on their, uh, their, their online academy that I give for them. So, you know, I set that up, and then they'll have their drills. They can film and send it up there, too. But... At the end of the day, they just need to know that expectations, you know, need to fit with abilities. Very good uh, advice and uh, a, great, a great answer, Chuck. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that that's something that's key. I think understanding, and this goes back to, you know, really what we talked about earlier is, is the communication with the student, and, and that is understanding um, really what it is that they want and then and what their expectations are and helping them to understand what's realistic and what's not given their um, abilities. And obviously that's something that in the early uh, stages of, of working with them, we're going to help them unpack. 
Uh, and I think once we are able to do that and recognize um, what their abilities are, but what their uh, goals might be and what realistically uh, is going to be attainable for them uh, in, the, in the onset, uh, it is going to make for a much better relationship as well. I think uh, too many students come in with, with very high expectations and, uh, you know, particularly of themselves, maybe they, you know, gone to the range a few times and think, okay, I can, I can do this. And they get out there and then they're disappointed. Um, so I, I think having those conversations with them first and foremost, I think is, is crucial. And, and uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Pete, uh, here, this is an area of, of really golf that a lot of people struggle with. And that is actually playing the round. What you know? What do I do when I go out there? I mean, obviously, I know I I'm going to tee the ball up. I'm going to hit my shot. Um, but what would be a good tip? I mean, I know there's several tips, but maybe even one or two tips that you would give um, to help your student navigate any round. Doesn't matter whether they're playing in their club championship uh, or whether they're just playing with their weekend foursome. Um, they just don't have a game plan. They don't understand sometimes what to do. So, what maybe would a tip or two that you might give them that would help navigate any round? First thing I like to do is, is to get them to understand how to you know, break down the golf course and the golf holes individually for themselves, you know, also based on their ability. But looking at each individual hole, you know, starting at the tee box, what's out there that they can get into, whether there's hazards right or left, you know, take a look at what, what the hole gives them, moving from that side up to the green, what's around the greens, and try to get them to understand the best way to plot themselves around so that they can, you know, obviously still score well, but avoid getting themselves into some, some pretty big trouble. And then also understanding that, you know, we have some players that, that you know, have a tendency to miss one direction. So you also help them to understand, you know, if you're going to miss, you know, let's make sure we avoid the disaster of making a higher score. But, you know, it's basically looking at each hole and getting a game plan for each hole as to how they're going to play it and, you know, really – one shot at a time, really, is what they, what they need to do. You know, let's look at the situation, look at what we're up against, let's play this shot, and uh, once we get that done, let's go look at the next one. But I think from an overall game plan is uh, just take it at each hole at a time, um, you know, break it down to what uh, they, they can do to score on that hole the best for them. And, uh, you know, and I like what, what Chuck said earlier. I mean, getting to the center of the green, I think everybody should be doing that. You know, I, I think it was either – I think it was Sam Snead who said, you know, they can't hide the pin from you if you keep it in the middle. So, you know, I, I think that's great advice. So, you know, just you know, making it so that it's it's a simple game plan to help them score. I think that's really what I would try to try to get that overall breakdown to be. Yeah, well well said. And, and you're exactly right. I think that um... – you know, as we, we've said, uh, I think, a couple times here tonight, you know, keeping it simple and, and making it, um, you know, understandable for the student that, hey, you know what, you're not going to hit every shot perfect. Um, the idea is to go out there and do the best that you can, and obviously we want them to have fun. But I also, you know, I've, I've heard this, you know, said many, many times before, um, is, you know, take the pressure off. Don't focus on a round of, of uh, 18 holes, but rather think of it as 18 rounds within the round. So treat each hole as an individual round and focus on that hole. 
And then once you move to hole number two, forget about hole number one. Don't worry about what happened on there. Focus on the, the shot obviously at hand, but focus on that hole and treat it as sort of a mini round, if you will. Um, some people, some pros actually do that. You know, we've had a, a number of young ladies from this Metro Tour that have been on uh, my Tuesday morning program that actually break it up into three holes. They'll mini round, they'll, you know, the first three holes, that's a round to them, the next three holes, and so on and so forth. Um, but I would suggest breaking each hole uh, up and, and treat that as an individual round. That way, the, you know, you're, you're not putting undue pressure and once you, whether you par it, whether you birdie it, or whether you bogey it, uh, it doesn't matter. That round is over. Move on to the next one. And then I think when you, you do it that fashion, especially early on when you're first taking up golf, uh, I think that you tend to not put a lot of pressure on yourself because you're not looking at all 18 holes at once and thinking, okay, well, I've, you know, I'm, I'm two over par or three over par or 10 over par, and I've got eight more holes to go. And I think sometimes just breaking up hole by hole sometimes can be beneficial. But uh, but great answer, uh, Pete. I, I like that. Um, uh, Clint, I'm going to come back to you on on uh, a question here, and and it really okay. addresses bunker play. You know, uh, this is really I think a nemesis for for a lot of uh, our golfers out there. Um, and for some reason, they've got it in their head that it's difficult to hit it out of the sand. And it doesn't matter whether it's the green. Uh, green side, a fairway, or even, you know, uh, as we've seen, you know, overseas, uh, you know, in, in a lot of the opens, uh, some of these deep pot bunkers. Um, how do we make it easier for the amateurs to hit it out of the sand? What do we need to do? How do we convince them it's not a tough shot? Well, you know, we we do this a lot in some of the clinics, and, and we try to, to, to convince a person that a bunker shot is the easiest shot in the game. We all know that because it's a, particularly greenside, it's the only shot in the game you don't have to hit the ball. You just got to get close. Um, and we basically come to him and says, look, if I really wanted to make this a hard shot, I would not have put sand in this hole. Would have dug the hole out, left it just where it's at. We wouldn't have put sand in here, Okay. Because so therefore we put sand in here to help you get the ball out. Okay, because if we really want to make it hard, we just left the the sand out and you just had to hit it off the dirt. And we actually had years ago. I had a bunker that was half sand and half not to show them. You want to hit it out of that? Or you want to hit it out of here? Or maybe we ought to show you how to hit it out of the grass bunker. Very difficult. Mm-hmm. So a sand right. bunker is the easiest bunker on the golf course. So then we show them a technique of, as we've all do, is we want to hit somewhere behind the ball and make sure that the sand that's behind that ball leaves the bunker. Use the sand. And one of the tricks I've always used is, is you go out and you got to do a little prep on this, is loosen the sand up a little bit and, and step on a ball. Just step on it. Push it all the way in the sand where the sand is packed right around the ball. And and just make any kind of impact you want to, and we all know what's going to happen, is the sand around that ball is packed so tight, and the ballistics of the sand, the ball just flies out of the bunker. And it proves to the student, hey, the sand is there to help me. I don't want to be afraid of it. It's my friend. And mm-hmm. we, I have uh, some you know, great success with getting people to understand the construction factor of a bunker. 
that if we want to make it hard, we wouldn't have put the sand in here. So utilize it. Make sure the sand is your friend, not your enemy. And be and the biggest thing that we tell them with that idea, you have to be aggressive. The sand has to leave the bunker. And you know, I grew up. You know where I grew up. I grew up in Northwest Florida, and and the philosophy we had is just get it out of the one you're in. If it's in the one on the other side of the green, fine, but just make sure you get it out of the one you're in. That's an <laughs> attitude of being aggressive, you know? So, um, so that's how we do it. We just try to convince the person based on the construction features of the golf course is that we were trying to help you not hurt you when we put the sand in this hole and it works. It get, it gives them, it's a little fun and it, and it gets them to understand the dynamics of the sand and how you can use it to propel the ball out of the bunker. I couldn't agree more. Um, and you're exactly right. Bunker shot is uh, the easiest shot, really, but it, it, it seems to stymie so many uh, of our amateur golfers out there. And I think that, you know, once right. they understand what actually takes place, um, you know, the, the sand suddenly becomes their friend. And if you watch, you know, really, if you watch some of the best players in the world hit out of the bunker, um, I mean, not in certainly every case. I mean, some give it a good old thump, but it, it's yeah. a thing of beauty. And, you know, you wonder, wow, how are they able to, you know, get it up so close in that? And really it's because they understand the concept. You're not hitting the ball here. You're hitting, uh, and obviously we're talking greenside right. bunker, but you're hitting right. uh, the sand well. and the sand is actually helping you. But, uh, and obviously it's different for a fairway bunker. You're, you're taking a little bit different approach, but. Um, yeah, you're going to hit the uh, ball first. I keep thinking. One sure. of the things that we can add to that and then I'll, then I'll be quiet is it's always been fascinating to me. Now, not in the maybe some of the newer golf courses built, but they'll put a sand bunker on the golf course and not build a practice bunker. Mm -hmm. They put something out there on their golf course, and they don't give their members a place to learn how to hit it out of it. So part of the fear of bunkers is that nobody ever practices it or ever learns how to get it out of there. So when they walk in there, they might as well go ahead and take an unplayable line, just throw it out of the bunker and take a stroke. You know, because they don't know how to get it out, you know, um, you know, so it, it's an injustice that golf course designers and, and stuff at least didn't build something that they can use to learn how to play the shot. We we have putting greens, we have driving ranges, uh, you know, uh-huh. but a lot of times you don't see that practice bunker, but there's bunkers on the golf course. <laughs> so, yeah, you. and. Yeah, and you're exactly right, Clint. And, you know, the the sad part of it is, and certainly it's not in every case, but uh, there are uh, exceptions to the rule. And, and obviously some right. some uh, facilities do have some, some great uh, short game practice facilities with That's right. uh, bunkers to practice. And, and then there's some of those out there that, that have a bunker that resembles nothing to the, like the bunkers out in the golf course. So, you know, it, right. it's hard to, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to, to get that practice in, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, Peter, I, I want to sort of, follow up from uh, a question that uh, I had asked Chuck, that was, you know, preparing for that first lesson. Um, and I want to ask you that in, in your understanding, when a student comes back, now, after their first lesson, what are some things that you're going to do um, second, third, fourth, fifth lesson, if you will, what are you going to, is there certain things that you're going to be focusing on primarily based on the information you got from the first lesson? And in between, 
are you kind of giving them, and I hate to use the word homework assignment, but assignments, if you will, of things to work on before they come back to see you? Yeah, I'm, you know, the way the way I do things is that um, players always come in for an initial kind of evaluation. Um, and we have a certain evaluation protocol we use, and it's it's a great way for me or my team to gather information that is going to end up helping us make a, a long-term plan. So, you know, leaving that meeting and, you know, through a lot of discussion, um, we have a pretty good roadmap set on how we can best help that player, and we understand their ability for time commitment, um, the ability to practice, the ability to play, the the time that they have to commit to any of this. Um, and then during our, you know, six, you know, our sessions that we're going to have, they're always leaving with, um, you know, they're leaving with something to work on for next time, whether it's uh, the beginning of maybe a motor pattern change or working on some functional movement or understanding that motor pattern change with more of a functional movement exercise or right. if further along in the process, they're they're leaving with a practice plan and a playing plan, a, com- a competitive plan. It's it, it it very much depends on the on the player at the stage of development or the uh, or scoring range or length of relationship. It, it it's just very very um, individualized and depends on the player. Right. Well, you're you're exactly right. I think it's important. Um, to have during that process after the initial assessments are done and maybe you've worked with them on the first lesson, whatever capacity it may have been, I think it's important to make sure that they have some, uh, if you will, benchmarks in between each lesson that we want them to focus on. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to achieve them in every case, but we want something for them to be focused on so that when they come back, it's a progression and not a sort of a regression because the problem is, as we can all attest to, is, um, and, and it's a hard beast to break sometimes, is we a lot of times we'll get students that will come to us for lessons, we'll give them some information, we'll ask them to work on some things. Um, they basically sit the clubs down for a week or what have you, and they come back, and it's like starting from, from ground zero again. And it can be very, very frustrating, obviously, for the player because they don't feel like they're, they're making any headway uh, but it's also equally frustrating, I think, for the instructor as well, because we're spending that time trying to help guide them and navigate them uh, to a path of success, um, but they have a role to play as well. So I think it's important, uh, again, as we talked about in the, in the um, beginning of the show, is obviously uh, treat each player uh, as an individual and work a, a, a program that's going to best encompass. And I think to go to uh, Clint's point very early on, is that long communication and really listening to the student as to what they want. And if they're not understanding, make sure that we reaffirm uh, with questions like, you know, you understand what I'm saying and, and, and uh, you know, get them to sort of explain it back to you a little bit so you make sure that they're receiving it. But um, great answers, guys. And Pete, last but not least, I'm uh, sorry, Chuck, I apologize. Um, Chuck, I'm going to give you this question here. That is... What we want, we want our students obviously to play their own game because they are individual. Um, and we're going to try, as I just pointed out, to guide and direct them as best we can. Uh, but if 
from watch pros. I don't necessarily want them to emulate everything that they see on television or they read in the magazines, but there are some um, maybe some key things that they can take away from watching, um, whether it be at a live event uh, or watching uh, on the Golf Channel or whatever. What are some things that they can take away watching the pros? Well, so the, the tour players always have a pre-shot of some kind. It's a rehearsal for what they're trying to do. Um, most amateurs, if they make a rehearsal swing, it has nothing to do with the shot they're trying to hit. Um, so that would be the first thing I would do. And then the second thing I would do is, uh, and, and you don't see this so much in the in the round as you see in the practice rounds, um, the the approach shot uh, is is far more important than the tee shot. Uh, you can miss a fairway as long as it doesn't cost you a penalty, obviously. Um, if you can <clears throat> hit your approach shot to the green, you have a much higher success ratio. And you'll also see a lot of the players uh, intentionally not hit it at the flag. Sometimes they will, but sometimes they're hitting it left, right, long, short, whatever. Uh, they're trying to find what I call the zero line, which is a a straight putt to that hole. So they don't always hit it at the flag. They always make some kind of rehearsal based upon the shot they're going to hit. And then the practice rounds, when they hit a, a shot, the caddy will go to wherever the, the uh, ball mark was at, the pitch mark, and they will step it off to the hole. So it'll either be even yardage or it'll be minus or plus. And they make a note of that. You know, from this yardage, this is how far your club carried. So those are just little things that they do. And and but the two biggest things is rehearse the type of shot you're trying to hit. And really focus on that. And then just it's all about the approach shot. Over uh, there's only 37% of the approach shots from the amateur golfers that actually get on the green. 37%. The right. largest percentage of them are short. The smallest yeah, and, percentage are shots that are long. Right, and that's you know that that's something that all uh, of our, especially our amateur golfers, pay attention to. Um, I think you know I talked about it again earlier. I think a lot of times golfers are working too much on the technique of the swing, so they see a pro that they. Um, maybe admire or appreciate and try to emulate that. And really that's not what they should be emulating. As you pointed out, Chuck, you know, let's, let's take a look at their pre-shot routine um, and create our own pre-shot routine, but focus on the shot at hand and practice that particular shot in our pre-shot, uh, you know, uh, process as opposed to just sort of getting up there and not really doing anything or something haphazardly. Yeah, I would, so I I would not. Right, and I would not call it a pre-shot routine uh, simply because there's there's not too much routine about the shot. You'll have a different lie, different slope, right. uh, all kinds of different things. So, uh, but I would call it a pre-shot, and that's getting in getting in the groove uh, and, and figuring out what shots you want to hit and where you want to hit it at. So the, that that's the biggest thing I see is amateurs do not have a pre-shot. 
you know, they might wiggle the club a little bit to feel it loose. That's not doing much for, for programming what they want, though. No, you're exactly right. Well said. Um, and, Pete, lastly for you, uh, I'm going to do this um, something a little bit different for you, and, and that is uh, sort of a post-round, well, not uh, – we, we mentioned here just a, a moment ago about, you know, after taking lessons and that, things that they can be working on, but what information can or students and use post-round? What information can they take away from their rounds that will hopefully help them not only with their next session with you, but also maybe their next round. What are some things they can take away? Well, it has to do with you know them sitting down and, and looking at teaching as a whole. What were their strengths? What were their weaknesses? What shots gave them trouble? What were what were they the best at? And then using that information to put into the next practice session. Go practice the things that maybe weren't as good during the round. And um, you know, just fine-tune the ones that were. You, know, you find that a lot with tour players after the round. They're going to go work on some of the things that weren't working well that day. So, you know, I like them to, to look back over the whole round, look at each area of the game from putting, putting chipping, pitching, bunker shots, uh, you know, their fairway shots, their tee shots, and just get a good consensus of how they did relative to each of those areas. And then, you know, have a discussion with them on how to put forth a plan together to make those better and different things they can do to improve those areas and uh, get their scoring better as they go. But it's always good for them to, to go back over the rounds when they're done and take a look and, and just, you know, get an idea of what was good, what wasn't good, and things that I can do uh, and work on to improve before I play the next time. Right. And it's also good, uh, it's also good for the, the to, uh, Kind of take some notes, uh, very general and basic notes. I don't have to write a, a, a script or a diary, but uh, you know, take note of how many greens they hit in regulation, how many putts on each hole, um, and the types of putts they can even you know make make a quick note of if they will. Whether um, you know competitors is taking their shot, they can make some notes if you will, um, and then that information becomes valuable not only for them but also for you as an instructor because you're able to see what it is they're doing every round. Uh, and that information then you can compile and uh, over the course of several rounds take a look at some commonalities or some areas that they're struggling with um, that uh, is, is going to give them uh, hopefully some better advantage. All right, well, listen, guys, I want to thank you. Uh, we're actually zipped right by, but I want to thank you guys all for uh, joining me on the season finale, uh, particularly Coach's Corner. And uh, as always, you guys did a fantastic job bringing your best. And I want you to uh, very quickly, we'll go through here. Um, we'll start with, it looks like we, we lost Peter Gazarian. I don't know if he's uh, in a pocket somewhere, but hopefully he'll call back in the next few minutes. Um, but uh, Chuck, if you want to go first, uh, and then Pete Buchanan, and then Clint Wright, uh, how the folks can reach out. Uh, they can reach me on all the social media under Chuck Evans. They can go to the website, ChuckEvansGolf.com. All of my information's there, contact info. They can also go to UltimateGuideToGolf.com and contact info's there as well. Very and good. thanks for having us having us on the show tonight, Ted. I appreciate it. That's always a pleasure, Chuck. Uh, Pete uh, Cannon, go ahead. 
Yeah, they can get me at plainsimplegolf.com. It's the, the plane is P-L-A-N-E. Uh, all my contact info's out there. And again, Clint, Chuck, Peter, and uh, again to you, Ted. Thanks for uh, another great show. Enjoyed it. All right, thank you very much, Pete. And lastly, Clint. Uh, as normal, it's clintgolf001 at yahoo.com is the way to find me. And, uh, Ted, it has been fun the whole year. Looking forward to next year, too. We always always have a great time. And, and guys, have a uh, great holidays, and hopefully we'll have a safe new year and, and uh, look forward to next year. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, All right. Guys. All right. Have a, uh, a great holiday season. Uh, special thanks to the panel uh, here, the last panel of 2019. Uh, thanks to my special guests, Peter Agazarian, Chuck Evans, Clint Wright and Pete Buchanan. Thanks, guys, for doing a phenomenal job and, and helping to end out uh, the Coach's Corner panel for 2019. All right, uh, we're going to take just a short little uh, break, if you will, and uh, I'll get ready to uh, bring on my special guests this evening, John Decker and Angelica Napolitano. Uh, but first, I want to remind everybody uh, to visit golfswing.com at the end of the show and uh, check out their website. You can actually join their website uh, and enter promo code Golf Talk Live and get 50% off the subscription price by doing that. That's a, a special that they're offering to all of the listeners of the show. So I'll remind you again here in a moment. But uh, here's a listen to a short clip uh, from GolfSwing.com. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? GolfSwing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, GolfSwing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, GolfSwing.com's staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at GolfSwing.com. All right, and as I mentioned, uh, don't forget to go to golfswing.com at the end of the show uh, and subscribe to their website. It's uh, very, very reasonable. They've got literally um, dozens of of golf instructors there with thousands of uh, instructional videos to help your game. Uh, Enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE uh, at checkout and get 50% off the subscription price. So it's a great deal uh, for that golfer if you're looking to get that last-minute gift uh, for Christmas. Um, that's a great one to do. So go to golfswing.com, enter promo code at Golf Talk Live at checkout, and get 50% off the subscription price. All right, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to continue on the final episode, if you will, of a four-part series that we did with uh, my next guest. Um, and I'm going to introduce you, uh, both of them here, and then I'll bring them out, and we'll continue our, our conversation through the show uh, with my very special interview guest. Uh, first up, of course, he's been on uh, many, many times, not only as a guest, but uh, a regular on the Coach's Corner panel. I'm, of course, I'm talking about uh, John Decker, a PGA instructor with GolfSwing.com and a motivational speaker. Uh, he's also the former teacher professional at the New Albany Country Club. And in 2015, he was named the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, prior to that, he was a head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, where he worked under top 100 instructors, Fred Griffin and the late Phil Rogers. Uh, he also authored the book, uh, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which has an accompanying Bible study. Uh, also uh, joining tonight is Dr. Angelica Napolitano, a.k.a. The Golf Doc, uh, and owner of Optimal Physical Therapy and Wellness in Jupiter, Florida. 
they're also to, together are the hosts of the Golf Swing RX podcast, the prescription for your game. Uh, please welcome my very special guests uh, back again this evening, uh, John Decker and Dr. Angelica Napolitano. Good evening, guys. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having us back. Hey, Ted. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to both of you. Yes, we're, we're, uh, the clock is winding down. Uh, only a few uh, short shopping days left. So for those of you that haven't gotten out at the stores or ordered online, uh, you better hurry up because uh, there's only a few days left. Um, all right. So, guys, as I was mentioning, we this is going to be the fourth uh, and final part of this particular series. And, and uh, just sort of a, a quick recap um, the first three shows, of course, we did a show each month, and uh, tonight we're going to talk about the downswing uh, uh, to the finish, if you will. Uh, but we started out with uh, sort of the basic fundamentals uh, of the game. Then we talked about the takeaway and then obviously into the backswing. Now we're going to talk about the downswing uh, through to the finish. And also uh, Angel is going to talk about, uh, as she has done on the, the previously aired shows, uh, some of the things, that, sort of the do's and the don'ts, if you will, that from the physical side of the game um, that we need to be mindful of and some of the areas, if you will, that help uh, the different components in the swing and why things work the way they do and if they're not working, what we can do about them. So we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, but again, welcome, guys. Thanks for, uh, for coming in. And, and uh, John, as always, we're going to start with you. So let's talk about, um, I guess, first and foremost, uh, how does the, the, the downswing start? And when? Well, Ted, uh, again, thank you for having us on the show. And, Angel, I look forward to uh, doing the show with you again tonight. Um, you know, the, the, the downswing um, is one of the um, – is very important, obviously, in the golf swing, and it's set up by uh, what we've talked about the last three months and the setup, the backswing, and the transition. And it's really um, – if, if for the listeners out there, I want you to think of uh, when you were a kid and you were swinging on a swing set. Um, you, you would always reach your fastest speed at the bottom. And then when you got on the ends, as you were changing directions, you would slow down. And, and it almost felt like you would pause, and then you would accelerate. And, and that's what a good golf swing and a good downswing should feel like. Um, what you're doing is when you swing the club back, the backswing is essentially over. Uh, when the left arm, and this is for a right-handed player, when the left arm is parallel to the ground. So initially, you're getting the club to go back. Uh, you have a transition where you're changing the direction, and it's almost uh, a good transition. almost feels like when you're on the swing set where you're kind of coming to that pause, and then you accelerate, and then you go the other way. Um, when you're talking about the downswing, one of the biggest mistakes that, that a lot of my students uh, and we see this, and uh, you know, and I'm sure you see this as well, Ted. Is a lot of our students feel like that they need to take the club all the way back, so they need to go all the way so the club is parallel to the ground, and then they need to bring it down. But if you're if you're swinging properly, if you're if you have good transition and you have good rotation, you do not need to bring the club down. Just like when you're on the swing set. You do not need to make yourself go down. You will come down with gravity. You will accelerate naturally. And so what, what I try to teach is what's called a natural acceleration. And I believe that this can only be done um, when you're learning through drills. I think if you try to go back and think, well, I'm going to make the club go all the way so it's parallel to the ground like Tiger Woods does, 
yes, Tiger Woods Club is parallel to the ground uh, when he when he's when he, at the very top of his swing. But that's not where he's starting his downswing. He has already started. He's already shifted. He's already rotating. He's already going the other way. What's happening is is the the swing set is is changing directions as you as we use in the analogy. So the downswing, the transition, and the downswing is really the most critical sequence in the golf swing, and it is by far the most difficult sequence to teach. Because if you're too slow or you're too fast or you're too short or you're too long, it's going to, re- it's going to result in a poor downswing, and that's going to result in a poor shot. Well said. And, and you know, I think the, the, the key thing, too, is, and this is why it's important, and if you look at some of the, uh, the top players, um, and obviously one of the best examples, uh, in my opinion, would be Ernie Els because his, his, his tempo and, and timing is so fluid you can actually uh, see the transition that you're talking about. And you're exactly right. The downswing is very, very difficult for people to understand. Uh, a lot of times they're hurrying it or they're forcing uh, their upper body uh, to get back down to the ground and things get out of sequence. And we've talked about that before on the show. And ultimately what ends up happening is they're hitting them fat or they're hitting them thin, depending on uh, what, what's uh, taking place throughout the sequence. But um, you're, you're exactly right. This is something that, you want it to be a fluid transition. And, um, um, you know, I think that a lot of people sort of missed the boat on that. Uh, Angel, I want to get into really talking about with you um, some of the muscle groups that are responsible for this downswing. So talk about them. I know there's a few of them. Uh, give us an idea of what's sort of taking place from a physical standpoint um, when we're initiating this downswing. Yeah, so thanks for having me back. Um, as always, I love coming on. So I first want to define the difference between a uh, weight shift and the transfer of energy because sometimes people explain that or use terminology as if it's the same thing and it requires the same skill and that's not the case. So the weight shift, the weight shift is when we start to move our, we start to load from the left into the, into the lead leg, right? Our right for, I'm sorry, from the right to the left for a right-handed golfer. Um, <clears throat> so that's just that movement. And that movement is controlled by our core, our abdominal muscles. So our, our, those muscles allow us to move in circular motions, forward, backward, and side to side motions without losing uh, balance. So very, very important. And that is the weight shift. Now, the transfer of energy, the, the glute complex is responsible for that transfer of energy because if in, order, in order for you to transfer your energy, you have to be able to slow down. So as our lower body moves, right, we shift our weight, we should be able to stop before we start sliding because we don't want to slide. Um, and so the glutes are responsible for stopping that motion and transferring the um, energy to our upper body so that we can effortlessly come into the ball at impact. So if our glutes are unable to stop us and to decelerate um, that tr- so that we have that proper transfer of energy, we're going to slide. So that makes sense between the difference between the core and the glutes and the transfer of energy and the weight shift. Does that make sense? Makes perfect you? sense. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I just want the listeners to know that that is is huge um, because again, the core—if you you don't have that coordination, control, 
all those things that go into a good um, dynamic core control type um, motion, then you're going to lose your posture, your spine angle, and your balance. And then we know what happens, when, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, what happens um, if, that, if that occurs. Um, and then, again, you slide the glute, uh, that left glute is not stabilizing that weight shift from the core and loading into that, um, that lead leg. So um, those, are, those are what's happening um, in, in those areas for the downswing. Well said. Um, and, and, you know, I think it, it, you know, to go back to what we've talked about in the past, this is why it's important, really can't emphasize this enough, for somebody to go to somebody like uh, Angel and have a physical assessment done because there are a lot of areas of the body that if they're not, and the misnomer is that you have to be in perfect shape um, and everything just has to be perfect. Well, that's not true. Obviously, we're all different. But if there are deficiencies in parts of the body, as you just explained, it's going to affect, um, in this case, the downswing. But as you pointed out in previous shows, it affects other areas as well. So, you know, this is why it's important to get a, an assessment done. And we'll talk about that as we wrap up at the end of the show, um, how uh, the folks can go about doing that. But uh, some great, uh, great answers. Thank you, uh, Angel, for that. Um, John, I want to come back to you. And, and here's something that gets talked a lot about in golf, and that is the impact position. Uh, is that a position or is it part of the sequence? Well, this is, um, this is a great topic to talk about because there's a lot of teachers out there that talk about, you know, the impact, everything. They, they, they really focus on impact, and impact is important. I don't want to dismiss that. Obviously, that's when we're hitting the ball. But, but it's not a position that you just manufacture. Um, you know, when I think of positions in the golf swing, I think of two positions. I think of setup, and I think of finish. But everything from setup to finish, everything else is a sequence. And if you don't get the, um, you know, when I was working with Fred Griffin, he would call it the domino effect. You got to get the dominoes to fall, you know, the first domino to fall, and then all the uh, the other dominoes fall. If you don't get your takeaway right, if you don't get your transition, your downswing, your impact is going to be off. And 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 this is all happening in a second. So I try to get students to not focus so much on impact. I try to get them more to the finish, knowing that if I can get them to the finish, impact will take care of itself. The problem I see with a lot of, and I see this with a lot of top teachers. I mean, you could go to uh, a lot of the teachers out there, and they're going to try to teach an impact position. Um, the problem that I find is, is that people aim at the ball. They go to the ball when they do that. They don't go through the ball. They go to the ball. And so that's why I found, and, I, and, you know, when I first started as a teacher, you know, I would try to put students in that impact position. Now, I will take students and say, this is where I want you to go. I, this, you know, I'll actually move them. This is what it should feel like. But, but once I do that, I say, now from there, go to the finish. And then I get them swinging. So it's kind of done in some pieces. I, I, I will break it down. Another thing that I will use, um, and I use a lot, is the impact bag. I'm a big believer in the impact bag, and that is a, a, a shift into the bag. But it's not stopping at the bag, and that's where um, it's important that when you teach people to do that, uh, you teach them to use their body to, to shift into it to get that the, where they're popping the impact bag. And I think that's, uh, um, you know, back when, back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, 
you would have the the golf digest and some of the magazines would talk about hitting a tire. Well, you don't want to hit a tire. I mean, a tire that can really, you can hurt yourself if you do that. So the impact right. bag is, is, is something that, that I believe is a, is a great, uh, is a great teaching device. Um, you can even, you can even put down um, like a bean bag or some heavy uh, pillows or things like that and, and kind of shift into them when you're hitting them. But it's, it really is more of a sequence. And so I, I try to get, I try to show people where your body should be at impact. But I say, I don't want you to think about this position. I want you to think about getting to the finish from here. And, and so then, then in their downswing, they're focusing more on the finish. So it's downswing, impact, finish. So it's more of a sequence. It's not just a position. And so that's why I shy away from, from using that word a lot when, when I teach. Yeah, and that, that raises a, a really valid point, John, and, and that is, you know, I'm like you. I, I find that, you know, if you're teaching certain things like that as a position um, and not part of a sequence, people tend to just automatically go to that. They think, okay, well, I'm going to – and they stop. I mean, I've seen a, where people yeah. will actually stop at that position because, you know, they've been instructed to do so. And, and I understand the purpose of that uh, and why the instructors are, are trying to get them to get into that impact position, what it feels like. Um, but the problem is that then sometimes we'll throw out the sequencing. And, you know, I was always taught to believe that the ball really gets in the way uh, of, of the golf swing. Um, you don't think about hitting the ball. Very well said. Hitting, yes. Yeah, that's... it happens to be there. And, that, and that's, you know, that is really old school. I mean, I've heard, you know, Palmer and Nicholas and, and many other uh, top players over the decades talk about that, and that's really the golf swing is a swing, and the ball just happens to be in the way of the swing and, and gets hit that way. But if you focus too much, as you pointed out, at the impact position, then it tends to throw people out of sweep, uh, sequence, and they get into a point where uh, all kinds of issues with weight shift and so forth happen. So that's a very good point uh, to make. Um, and I think you're right, uh, using things like an impact bag, and if you don't happen to have one or you're not uh, currently uh, with an instructor that has one, uh, some heavy pillows, as you suggest, is, is a great way to, to get that, and um, that can sort of help give you the same sensation and feeling. So well said. Um, Angel, uh, you know, as I sort of alluded to uh, earlier with you um, and, and sort of mentioned that we've talked about some of the limitations and things that, uh, and some of the problems that it can cause uh, if, if somebody's dealing with some physical limitations that can cause things like to lose posture or uh, early extension at impact, uh, what are some things, what are some of the causes that, to that, and what are some things that they can do to help correct that issue? Because that's obviously something that's going to impact the downswing. Yeah, it's going to impact you at impact. <laughs> right. So um, <laughs> basically when you lose your posture, specifically during the downswing, because um, you can lose your posture in the backswing as well. Um, but for the sake of this conversation, in the downswing, you're going to early extend. So what that means is your hips and your spine straighten up too early um, because you need to maintain your balance for certain reasons why you need to maintain your balance because you have certain limitations. Now, those limitations could, be, could range from various different things, like I stated earlier, um, the control and, and stability at the core and the ability to move. Um, other parts of your body uh, and shift weight, right? If you're not able to control that motion through having that good core control, you're going to probably early extend. So I always say proximal stability. So that means 
your core, your trunk, your hips, everything that's in the center of your body. You need to be stable there before you can have distal mobility. So distal mobility is, you know, our arms, our hands, the club. That's the distal mobility. So if I don't have that core control, I'm standing up at impact. Uh, plain and simple, right? Um, mm-hmm. Also, other things such as uh, your ankles, actually. If you have a lack of ankle mobility, you will stand up at impact. It's almost impossible to not. Um, for, again, several different reasons. Uh, and, of course, decreased um, hip mobility. So for a right-handed golfer, that lead left leg, you need to be able to rotate internally around it, right? And you need to be able to have that good glute control, uh, strength to be able to stabilize to post and rotate around it so that we're not sliding. So, again, those things will cause you to early extend, uh, and you're going to do the more forward and lateral movements. Also, I've talked about this several times, disassociation or the independent separation from the upper and lower bodies, um, body parts. So some things that you can do um, in correcting this, as I just said, there's tons of different reasons, and not all of those are the same for every person. And they vary from, you know, each individual. So you have to be able to identify where it's coming from first. So that's why, like you said, an assessment is key. You have to be screened. But there are things that you can do to self-assess, to identify yourself and become your own doctor and say, okay, well, this seems to uh, be happening during this, so I'm going to test this. Um, so, for example, if, if there's two main things that we want to look for, and it's at the joint and it's at the soft tissue. The joint is either going to be a mobility, mobility or stability issue, okay? So when I say mobility or stability, well, I'll get into that in a minute, but then the soft tissue is muscle tightness, things like that. Those are going to be the limitations, so either in the joint or the soft tissue. Now, the assessments that I like to do with my golfers the, the best one, the overall best one that I recommend is the overhead deep squat because that's going to tell you a lot. You kind of can get a, a, you know, hit off everything that you need to um, with this one. So for ankle mobility purposes, um, if your heels come up uh, while you try to squat down with your arms overhead, that's an indication that you have ankle tightness and tightness in the calves. Okay, so that's going to be a soft tissue issue. So it's different treatment styles to correct that. And I don't want to overload the listeners, but I want them to be able to identify their issues first and then go see somebody to confirm and then to give you the correct prescription of exercises and treatment uh, to, to get what you need because you aren't an expert in movement. You aren't an expert in physical therapy, but this will just assist your game and assist your knowledge towards the game and your performance. Um, so the overhead deep squat's great to check that ankle mobility. Um, single leg uh, balance test. So single leg balance test is going to tell you a lot about the stability and the mobility um, of your body. So mainly stability um, because you're standing on one leg, and if your hip drops, you know, you, you know that the glute on one side is going to be weaker if you're dropping your hip. Also, if you can't stand on one leg and you're all over the place and your arms are flailing and your ankles going all over the place, you know that your core is probably not able to control you, okay, because you only are, you have 100% of your body on uh, one leg now. So your core cannot take that, that overload. So you need to train it so it can take that overload because we know 
during that weight shift, we have all of our weight on that left, uh, that left uh, lead leg. So, again, you have to have that. That's another identification. If you can't stay on one leg more than 6 to 10 seconds, that's a problem. Um, and then lower quarter rotation test um, is when you test your hip mobility. So being able to identify the hip, mo the hip mobility with the internal rotation. So think about it for a right-handed golfer as you're going through your downswing. If you're not able to rotate around that left hip, okay, so you just stand, look in a mirror, and just rotate to your left, if that is limited, then that tells you that you're probably limited in your internal rotation in that hip and to go get checked out. Well said, Angel. Um, you know, just to, to help the, the listeners understand a little bit more why it's so important to have these assessments done, I think, and, and John, I'm sure you would agree, I think a lot of people assume automatically when their golf game is not at its best, that it's a technical problem in their golf swing. Now, obviously, there are issues that you and I can address as instructors, um, but there are other issues that can be caused by physical limitations that, uh, as Angel just pointed out, and balance being one of them. And this is an issue that, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, don't understand or, or misunderstand um, so I guess, you know, this sort of helps lead into the next question for you, John, and, and that is really how important is a balanced position to the golf swing? It's critical. Um, and I love what Angel just said. In fact, I went to the gym today, uh, and, and I did some overhead, uh, squats, um, uh, and, and, um, and not knowing that, that she was going to talk about that. Uh, so it's kind of funny that she mentioned that. Uh, but there, that's a great way. I, I really uh, I liked her answer there. Um, the balance finish is, is critical. It's, it is, um, and, and I tell all of my students, if you want to watch a balance finish, watch Adam Scott swing the golf club. Um, I have watched Tiger swing, and I've seen Tiger hit shots and not maintain his balance. I've seen Phil Mickelson hit shots and not maintain his balance. Uh, I've never seen Adam Scott, nor have I ever seen Ernie Els hit a golf ball and not maintain their balance and, and maintain just perfect stick their finish every time. Um, it, right. it, it requires, uh, obviously, um, you know, you have to be in shape to be able to do that, but and your technique has to be good, but you have to know where to go in the finish. And the reason that the balance finish is so important is because when you get out on that golf course, you're not going to be hitting on level wise. Uh, except mm -hmm. 18 times. Other than that, every shot you have is going to be uphill, downhill, side hill. And if you can't maintain your balance on the driving range, you're not, you have no chance of doing it on the golf course uh, when you get on the uneven lies. So it's so important because if you can maintain your balance, then you can maintain your spine angle and not get the early extension and early release that Angel was talking about. And that means that you're going to hit a solid shot. Um, you know, so if you really will practice your finish and I tell all of my students in every lesson, I show them where the finish is. I physically move them or here's where you need to go. And a lot of my students can't physically, uh, do exactly what I want them to do. And that's why they need to go see angel. Um, and, but I will put them in the position where they need to go or, or say, here's where you want to work toward. You know, I keep showing, you know, here's where your belt buckle is at finish. And I say, I want it to point more and more left. 
and I get them in that position, and then I have them hit balls focusing on that and going to that finish. And it's amazing that assuming that they have a good setup, and hopefully during, you know, during the lesson that's the first thing I'm going to take care of, if I can get them to set up and I can get them to finish, it's, I've taken beginners and seen them in their first lesson start hitting the ball and get it in the air and having fun. Um, you don't have to think about every single part of the golf swing. In fact, if you do, you're not going to play very good golf. So knowing how to set up and knowing how to finish and be on balance, those are three critical areas that I address in every single lesson. Set up, having, knowing where to go in the finish, and being on balance. So it is critical that you have good balance. And if you don't have good balance, then I like the answer that you gave is, you know, you can stand on one leg. And then if you get good at that, close your eyes and stand on one leg. And and you can actually learn to improve your balance. And so I've seen a lot of my students do that and they'll, you know, they can do it and, and it, it and and they've they've seen improvement in their game by improving their balance. So balance finish is critical and and if you watch Adam Scott, I think he does it better than anybody I've seen. Yeah, you're well said, John. And, and you know you're you're exactly right, and especially for um, you know some of our older golfers out there that are that are listening to the show. Obviously, as we get older, um, our muscles, our bodies are changing, and our balance sometimes is not as good for a variety of different reasons. Not always necessarily that the muscles are 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 not uh, uh, good, and you may be working out and doing some things, but there are other issues that could be happening as just part of the aging process. So. It's good to do these things, and, and as we mentioned, uh, about getting assessed and looking at that, because a lot of times when those areas, um, guys, get looked at and corrections are made, it's amazing how much different, not just on the golf course it can make, but in everyday life. So this is why it's important to really understand and know your body and to go to somebody that can help guide you. And In this case, obviously, somebody that's, that's um, uh, a physical therapist that understands particularly the, the golf swing and and that sort of thing, because obviously there are different issues for, for different things, but um, that's why I think it's important to do that. So well said, John. Um, Angel, to, to sort of wrap up uh, our, our discussion here on, on some of the points, now there are some neurological components that make up our balance system. Um, talk about what they are and how they can be used and, and what you can do to sort of train them, if you will, to uh, help your balance. Yeah, so I love the balance. So there are three things that make up the balance system, and that's the eyes, the ears, and the nerves. So the eyes, the visual system of our body, right? So when we're when we're walking, when we're doing anything in life, we can see, and we we can see what's coming. Essentially, we can see what's up, we can see what's down, we can see um, if we're about to walk on grass, if we're about to walk on carpet. So we subconsciously get ready to endure those types of uh, different terrains or um, different ways we have to, you know, change our posture to, to sustain a certain, like, way of being and not falling, right? So if you take away your visual system, then you, you can really, really alter your balance, right? So if you stand on one leg and close your eyes, that I – I can't tell you how many times – I start off by just identifying impairments from everything from past medical history that the patient forgets to tell you, oh, I had an ankle sprain, 
um, you know, when I was 15 and when I stand on this side and close my eyes, it's worse as if I stand on the you know other side and do it. Well, it's, and I'll get to that later, it's because of a lot of things. So single leg balance tests are huge, huge to identify so many things, just like the overhead deep squat is huge in identifying so many different things. So again, the visual system, you, even if you stand on both legs and close your eyes, if you start to circle and sway around, um, that's an issue. Then you know they're really going to have a hard time on one leg with just their eyes open. So to train these systems, you want to start with both legs on the ground, okay, just looking at a fixed point. Usually most people don't have an issue. Uh, close your eyes and do that, right? If they start to sway, okay, we know things are a little, the visual system's a little, like, challenged. Um, and then you want to stand on one leg and close your eyes. Now, if the golfer is having a hard time with these tests, with the visual part, when you're training them, when you're doing things with them, when they're doing exercises, put a mirror in front of them or they are going to be lost. Put a mirror in front of them and show them what they're doing so that they can react to what they know is about to come. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Okay. The next one is the ear. So the inner ear, we all have these circular, semicircular canals that contain this certain fluid. So if you've ever had an inner ear infection or if you suffer from vertigo, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and those are awful, awful things to deal with. So um, that fluid, when it shifts and gets displaced, it tells our brain about the positioning of our head looking down at the ground with respect to the ground. So if you roll over in bed and you turn your head and you get dizzy and vertigo all of a sudden, that's because you most likely have a problem with the fluid and the crystals in the ear being displaced. And that is a whole nother story. However, this is our equilibrium system I'm talking about here. So stand on one leg and turn your head side to side or side bend it side to side and see if that um, system, the vestibular system, or equilibrium, if you will, if you want to call it that, um, is altered. So just moving that head side to side while you're trying to balance yourself is a huge indicator that that system is, has been weakened from, you know, whatever uh, has happened to you in your life, whether it be um, ear infection, swimmer's ear, all those types of things. If you've had history of that, antibiotics you might have taken, um, gentamicin will, will affect your equilibrium. So, um definitely key to to do that and what I do a lot of times to train that system is I'll have somebody stand in what's called a tandem stance so one foot is in front of the other kind of like a DUI test have you ever seen one hopefully you haven't been through one but um, <laughs> you have one foot in front of the other and you have to like balance right so I have people walk heel toe heel toe while turning their head side to side that will really get that system trained as well. But usually the ear is not as much as, of a problem as the eyes and the next one I'm about to talk about, which is the nerves and, and our proprioception. So this one's very, very altered when you have sprains, strains, any injury of the lower body, definitely going to see um, a challenge within this system. So basically our, our joints have these little nerve endings, and they're called proprioceptors, and they feel – what's kind of underneath you and, and how to stabilize our body and it gets a sense and a feel for that. So if I put somebody on just regular tile or wood floor, sorry, someone was calling me. Um, if I put someone on just like a regular wood floor, nice surface, not a challenging surface, right, then I take them onto carpet or grass or something that's more squishy, sand, a foam pad, 
and they're all over the place and they don't know where, you know, how to stabilize, that's an indication their proprioception is affected. Another thing is, okay, put your hand behind your back. You know it's behind your back, right? Well, because you put it there. You feel it there. So kinesthetic awareness, where your body is in space. If I tell someone close your eyes and point to bring your finger to your nose and they can't do that, another indication your proprioception is off. So it's just that kinesthetic awareness. So basically I change surface areas to train the lower body for this because for golfers this is more about lower body than anything. So, again, I take them from standing on um, regular surface to grass to sand to a foam pad to a BOSU ball, and then I'll take away the eyes. I'll take away the side-to-side head movement. I'm not taking it away. I'm adding that to take those different balance systems away, and that is how you train it. That is how you do it if you want to um, increase your balance. And you'll notice when you first start, you're, like, so discouraged, and you're just like, man, why can't I get this? And you, it's almost like a challenge. Like, you want to keep going and going, and you're like, no, give your nervous system a break. It clearly is not, it's not making that connection. And when it's not making that connection, like I said, give it a break. Let's come back to it another day. So keep that in mind as well when you're training the balance system. Don't overdo it. Don't, don't upset it. Because you upset it, then everything just for the rest of the day, for the rest of the, maybe next day, you're off. And that is also discouraging for the patient, the golfer, whatever the case may be. So when training the nervous system, you really, really, really have to know what you're doing, um, especially the balance system, especially with that, that weight shift and that follow through. If you don't have some good balance, you're just, you're going to, you're not going to make the shot that you want. Right. Well said, Angel. And, and, you know, you know, as, as John pointed out earlier, you know, about the sequencing and that when obviously things like your balance and, and other issues, physical limitations and so forth uh, are not up to par, um, you're going to see it throughout the golf swing and particularly you're going to notice it um, when you're coming in uh, through the downswing and into your impact and, and finish positions, you're going to notice that. And that's why, you know, John, as you pointed out uh, earlier, uh, it's important to help them understand how to get to that finished position uh, and not, you know, try to break it up, you know, the swing up into, into different parts um, because I think that, again, sometimes can add the confusion. It's good for them to understand certain things, but I think to, to try to compartmentalize um, the golf swing into a, a number of different sections sometimes can be a little bit uh, hard for people to understand. Um, Great, uh, great discussion. Long- that's why you have yeah. to, the, I just literally, before that, I haven't mentioned this, before um, I got on the show, I made a post on social media about a team. Having a team of experts around you is going to help the athlete with, and, and, you know, improve outcomes and all, and all those things. Because I wouldn't try to teach somebody how to play golf, but I can dissect the physical components that are necessary to achieve a good swing, just as, John can't do what I do. I'm not going to be the expert in his field, and he won't be the expert in my field. You know what I mean? So it's very, very key for those out there listening. If you're an instructor or, you know, you're somebody in the industry and you identify an issue but you know that's not your field of expertise, please refer out. Uh, Don't be a jack-of-all-trades. It's just not going to work, and you're going to have better results and more trust from the client if you refer out. So, just wanted to put that out there. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and also, um, you know, Angel, I think it's important uh, to mention we, we, 
mentioned it briefly in the beginning, but about an assessment, why it's important to have that assessment. And uh, I know that you are able to, to do those. And, and obviously, um, with technology today, there's a lot of times things can be uh, exchanged, videos and things like that. But it's, it's more important, I think, for um, people to, to come and visit somebody like yourself um, and through some sort of a referral program by somebody like John and maybe other professionals. So it's good, as you mentioned, for professionals to, uh, you know, to seek out somebody like yourself that is trained in the physical side of, of things and, and can identify some of the issues that you talked about tonight. So if somebody's wanting to do that very quickly, what's the best, what's step one if a student's listening and they've got a, a golf instructor out there and they're not sure whether or not they've got a connection like yourself, how can they go about finding more information on how they can go about having that done? So they can either, uh, there's something called uh, TPI, Titleist Performance Institute. If you go on that website, mytpi.com, you can find an expert near you. So it'll be, you type in like your, you know, town or your zip code, whatever, um, and it will pop up with people that are TBI certified. So if there is a medical professional, like say someone's getting golf lessons, but there's a physical issue here, it will say that this is a, because there's going to be different people that are TBI certified. There's going to be pros, there's going to be fitness, and there's going to be medical. So you have to identify which person you need to go see. So if it's a medical thing, uh, you need to see a physical therapist like myself, it'll say that. Uh, that's one way. Another way is, if you, if somebody, uh, you know, the busy professional or or whoever just doesn't have the time, and you want to be virtual, you can reach out to either John or I, and you can do virtual lessons and virtual assessments um, via certain programs that are HIPAA compliant and, and all those things. Um, so those are very good ways for uh, somebody to do that as well if they don't have the resources, or maybe there's nobody in their town that is certified or that they know that they can go to. Um, Google also tells you everything. So if you <laughs> if you just type in uh, golf rehab near me or something, I'm sure something will pop up. But just make sure that the person is credible in what they're saying about uh, being an expert in golf because I don't sit here and say I'm an expert and uh, and doing pediatric rehab because I'm not, you know. And, and certain people will just say, oh, well, we do the golfer, the tennis, the this, the that, the other. I'm specifically golf, and everybody knows that. There's no, there's no, there's no mixed signals in my messages. Um, will I take the tennis player? Absolutely. Um, but specific to golf, you need to make sure if you're really, really, um, you know, something that's important to you and you have a goal that you want to achieve, find somebody that really specializes in it. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and also, importantly too I think to note is you know we all want to you know be and feel our best and uh, and exercise and there are are specific exercises as well that are designed and, and tailored uh, for uh, the golfer that are inherently different than some of our traditional exercises so you want to make sure that you know if you're going to exercise certainly we want you to to go to your gym or or whatever um, facility you may be going to, to, to work out. But if you're trying to hone some of those areas that are conducive to having a, a good golf swing, um, then you want to have some exercises that are specifically designed and geared uh, towards uh, the golf swing and not just, 
be there lifting a bunch of heavy weights and, and doing a lot of things that are maybe are actually going to be counterintuitive. So that's something that you can have that discussion with somebody like uh, Angelica as well that can help guide you and, and help put together a, a good fitness plan uh, to be able to do that. So great discussion, guys. And I, I want to make a note. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, uh, or I have for a little while now. And as some of you may know, and I know you two know, um, starting next year uh, in the spring, it's uh, likely going to be in around the first part of May. Uh, I've launched a new uh, platform called the iGolf Sports Network, uh, and it uh, is a live stream broadcast and media production company, uh, which is designed to provide not only uh, top quality instruction, but also uh, areas like uh, what An Angelica teaches and a whole bunch of other things as well uh, is going to be available. And I've reached out to both John and, and Angel here to be a part of that. And we're going to start looking at, at putting that together very early in the new year. Um, so I, I want you to be aware of that. I'm going to give more details uh, when I come back on air uh, in the early part of the season. Um, but uh, I want you to be aware and take note of that because I'm going to start putting some things out on social media here in the next little bit, um, particularly for this. And John and Angel are actually going to play a role uh, in providing some great uh, uh, information through a show that they're going to be uh, doing on the iGolf Sports Network together. So what you're hearing today is sort of a precursor, if you will, of things to come. Uh, the great part of it is uh, not only are you going to be able to hear what they're talking about, but you're going to be able to see what they're talking about as well through uh, the wonderful technology of uh, camera work. So uh, we're really excited about that. There's going to be a lot of other great things that I will, again, unpack a little bit later on, uh, but that's going to be coming in the spring. Uh, it's already uh, being put in place right now, and it's going to be a very exciting venture for me. It's uh, iGolf Sports Network is actually going to be encompassing not only the broadcasting, the live stream broadcasting and the production side, uh, but is also going to be housing uh, Golf Talk Live and the Women of Golf Show, my uh, weekly podcast. So it's all going to be sort of under one umbrella. Uh, you'll be able to access all of that information. And as I said, uh, John and uh, Angel are going to be part of uh, that as well, and we're, we're very, very excited about that. Um, guys, I, I think what I would like to do just for a couple of minutes here is uh, just give each of you an opportunity to maybe just kind of do a wrap-up, a very quick wrap-up of this sort of four-part series. John, maybe just touching on very briefly uh, sort of the, the four key components that we, we've talked about here in this series. Um, and then, Angel, I want you to just sort of, again, wrap up on the physical side of things, uh, again, what people need to be mindful of and where they can go to get information. Well, just for the listeners out there, I would encourage you all to uh, go back and I know that on uh, the Golf Talk uh, Live, you've, you've uh, archived uh, our previous uh, segments, and I would encourage uh, the listeners to, to go listen to those if you, if you happen to miss any of those. But um, we talked about the setup, the backswing, the transition, and the down, downswing. Remember the setup. You can practice your setup anywhere. You can practice your setup in your home in front of a mirror. You do not need to be at a golf course. You do not need to have nice weather to work on your setup. In fact, you should work on your setup every day if you really want to improve your game. Um, and, and that is the one area that the tour players spend the most time working on. People are amazed when I tell them that. But they spend more time on working on their setup than any other part of their, of their golf swing. 
Uh, the backswing can. Um, I would encourage you to um, to to look at using some medicine balls and working on some things. To, um, I've got some drills on YouTube that I put on there for the backswing. We talked about that, and then the transition. Um, I, the transition I really feel like needs to be done with drills, uh, and I have drills on that that as well. And then the downswing. Uh, you know, as we talked about today. So with the combination of listening to the, going back and listening to the messages that Angel and I, uh, and, and we've talked about in these last four segments, um, and watching some of the videos, um, and then obviously going and getting an assessment. You talked about a physical assessment. Um, I would encourage you all to, um, you know, if you're not a lesson taker, if you're someone who doesn't take a lesson, you need to go see a PGA a golf professional, or if you want, you can um, you can contact me and I can do a virtual uh, uh, lesson with you where I basically can look at your golf swing and, and kind of go, uh, you know, give you uh, some ideas of the direction that you need to go to go in. So um, but, you know, overall, those are kind of what we've talked about, you know, over the last four months. And it's been a pleasure. And, and I've really enjoyed being on the show with you and uh, with An and Angel as well. Well, thank you. As always, John, as I mentioned in the uh, top part of the, the segment, you know, you've uh, been a, a pretty regular guest here for the last few years, uh, obviously a regular on the Coach's Corner panel, and I enjoy that insight and input that you bring to the show and, and the enthusiasm. And then obviously uh, with this series that uh, you and Angel have brought here over the last several months, and we're going to continue on uh, in the new year uh, on the iGolf Sports Network. Uh, Angel, just uh, again, very quickly sort of wrap up. Um, obviously, we can't get into all the points, but just a, a general idea of what people need to be mindful of when it comes to the physical side of the, their golf game. And, and again, also what they can do to, uh, to sort of reach out and, and get those assessments where they can go to get that information. So I'll hit like one point for, uh, for each um, segment that we did. So the setup, main thing here uh, from, from my end is the posture um, at the spine specifically because we want to have a good spine angle angle throughout that entire process of the swing. So your, your setup, your posture at setup is, is just, it's very, very crucial to, to have a good one. Um, a hip hinge is something that you really want to perfect. So a hip hinge is being able to shift your weight back appropriately enough that you're not all the way on your heels and you're not all the way on the front of your toes while maintaining a neutral spine. So, again, core control for that one. Um, core control, core control, core control. Like, so if you're having an S posture, you're hyperextended or overarching that lower spine area. And if you have C posture, your upper spine or that thoracic spine, you're kind of like, hunched over and rounded. So that's something we really don't want to have um, in our in our setup. Um, so the backswing, biggest one, mobility in your thoracic or mid-spine and flexibility in your large shoulder and back muscles because those are going to be key to getting a, a good and, and wide backswing. Um, so like the, the lat muscle, very, very important to have flexibility there. Okay, and in the rotator cup, you want to have be able to get that external rotation um, and load all the way back into the uh, top of the backswing. Your transition. So the transition, um, it it starts before you're even at the top. You know, finish with your backswing. You're moving with your hips first, 
and you want to create that X factor stretch as much as possible because that's what's going to generate power. So the X factor stretch is when you move your hips first and your arms stay back. And you, the further you move your hips as your arms stay back, the, most, the more power you're going to store and generate in your downswing. So that's uh, really key to understand. Um, and then the downswing we just went over tonight. So, But again, go back and listen to the full episodes to, to get more detail if you haven't heard them yet. Um, they're really great. And we also are going to be incorporating them and have, I think we've done two so far. I've had two uploaded onto John and I's podcast, um, Golf Swing RX prescription for your game. So go ahead. We're on Apple. We're on all the Android apps, all the Apple ones. So you can find us. Um, but to find me specifically, you can go to Instagram um, at Optimal PT and Wellness. Uh, go ahead, shoot me a message, ask questions. If you want to do a virtual assessment, that would be great. Um, also, I'm on Facebook at um, my name, Angelica Napolitano, or you can find me at Optimal Physical Therapy and Wellness. And again, do the same thing, and I'd be happy to help you. So that's it for me, and I look forward to uh, seeing you guys in January. Will do. And, and John, just very quickly, if you want to let the folks know if they want to reach out to you, how's the best way to, to go and do that? Well, I teach, uh, Ted, I teach in the um, Columbus, Ohio area. So if you're in this area, um, I can I teach out at uh, Westerville Golf Center. Uh, or if you want to uh, watch my videos, I'm a, a instructor with golfswing.com. If you go to golfswing.com forward slash John Decker, and I spell my first name J-O-N, John Decker, you'll, you'll be able to see I have over 300 videos there. Also on Facebook under John Decker Golf Instruction, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. I have uh, several hundred videos on YouTube and LinkedIn as well. Um, and I do with my book, uh, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. Um, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble websites. And I'm also available for public speaking. I'm trying to line some stuff up in North Carolina this uh, spring. Uh, and I have a Bible study with my book as well. So if you, if, if there's listeners out there looking for someone to come in and speak to groups or junior groups or ladies groups or whatever, I can do that as well. So, but Ted and Angel, I want to thank you both. And I want to wish all the listeners out there, Merry Christmas, happy new year and safe holidays. And I want to thank you, Ted, for all that you do and uh, for allowing Angel and I to come on your show. It's been a, it's been a treat. Well, I appreciate you guys as well, and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to both of you. Um, I wish you the best of the holiday season, and I'm excited for us to meet in January. Of course, we're going to be uh, all of us heading over to uh, Orlando to the uh, PJ Merchandising Show, which is going to take place uh, the third week of January. I'm really excited. I'm going to be there all week. So uh, a shout-out to my fellow instructors out there and, and uh, golf media and so forth. Uh, if you're going to be down at the PJ Show, uh, and you want to connect with me, you can reach out through my email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com uh, and send me an email and say, hey, I'm going to be down at the show and we'll, we'll try to connect. But the two of you I'm going to meet specifically with um, while we're at the show um, because we're going to discuss some things, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, about the iGolf Sports Network. So I'm really excited about that. I've got some uh, great ideas. I know that you do as well, and we're going to share that uh, in the coming new year in 2020. So I'm really excited about that. And I will, again, Merry Christmas to both of you and Happy New Year. 
and I will obviously talk to you before, but I will see you in January down at the PGA show. Absolutely. Happy holidays and stay safe and warm. Thank you. All right. Thanks guys. All right. That was my very special guest, John Decker, uh, PJ instructor with golfswing.com and Dr. Angelica Napolitano, AKA the golf doc and owner of optimal physical therapy and wellness uh, down in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, I want to just take this uh, moment uh, again, once again, to um, thank uh, the gang on the Coach's Corner panel uh, this evening, Peter Agazarian, Chuck Evans, Clint Wright, and Pete Buchanan. Thanks, guys, for always uh, doing such a great job. And I want to thank actually all of the coaches and golf professionals that have been a part of Coach's Corner this uh, season. Uh, you guys have really done a fantastic job. It's uh, it's a segment that I know a lot of the listeners really enjoy. They enjoy hearing some different viewpoints and, and discussion on some different areas of golf. We're going to do even a better job, uh, if you can believe it, in 2020. Uh, I will be starting season number eight for Golf Talk Live. We're finishing up uh, tonight season seven here on Golf Talk Live and Coach's Corner. So I'm really excited about doing that. And then uh, we'll be starting season seven on the Women of Golf Show, uh, Cindy and I, uh, are going to be there uh, beginning on February 4th, our seventh season. So we're really, really uh, excited about that. So um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in each and every week, for faithfully uh, joining the broadcast, and I hope that you will continue in the new season. Uh, this is going to be it for uh, both shows this year, uh, this week, and uh, I will be back on February 4th with the Women of Golf and on February the 6th uh, for Golf Talk Live. Coach's Corner will be starting the first Thursday of March. Uh, always do a few shows uh, at the beginning of the season just to sort of warm the old chops up, if you will, and uh, really looking forward to uh, getting that back. So I'm putting all the, the stuff together for the show. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the launch of iGolf Sports Network uh, will be officially in May of next year. Uh, again, it's a live stream broadcast and media production company that's uh, really uh, designed to provide top quality uh, programming uh, to attract not only the golfing enthusiasts uh, out there, but uh, all of the uh, golfers as well. And we're going to have some exciting stuff on the network. So I hope you will tune in for that. And I will give you more information as it becomes available as to where and when and how you can uh, tune in uh, each and every week. So thank you everybody for, um, supporting the shows uh, each and every year. I'm very, very excited uh, about the, uh, the, the everybody tuning into the broadcast each week. Um, have a very Merry Christmas, everybody. God bless, and have a safe and happy holiday and a wonderful new year, and I will see you next year right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.